This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 389, powered by Rageworks. I'm your host, Rich. And if this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, pro wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We release our MMA and wrestling edition Thursday mornings, and our gaming and entertainment edition is released on Friday mornings. Previously, uh, we were doing the show live every Wednesday and Thursday at 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific. But as of this week, we have gone back to what brought us to the dance in the first place, and that is podcast editions of the show. Now, for those of you that missed the live broadcast, know that it is not the end of live shows, just it's easier to record the podcast and get them out quickly versus all the prep work that goes into uh, live broadcast. But Rest assured, you will not be without a live edition of My Take Radio for too long as we continue to march towards our 400th episode. Now, just wanted to get a couple of housekeeping things out of the way. As I said earlier, uh, our release schedule for the shows officially is going to be Thursday mornings for the MMA and wrestling edition and Friday mornings. There's going to be no specific time, just sometime Friday morning or mid-afternoon, you will see the gaming and entertainment edition of the show. I believe that's going to be the schedule going forward. Of course, bi-weekly, I will still be doing the variant issue with Jimbo Slice. And of course, weekly, you'll get all of the other shows on the Rageworks network. Aside from that, everything else has been good. Uh, Really good feedback from the MMA and wrestling podcast that we put out. And looking forward to chop it up about some games this week. So with that said, let us get into this week's gaming news, shall we? Hadouken! All right, we're going to open up with the new color that is coming to the PlayStation 4 Slim. It is going to be a Glacier White Edition. I actually saw this shared on a couple of different social media accounts over the last couple of days, and I was excited only because I like the variation in colors for consoles. I think it adds a little bit of additional customization to your home theater i know some people that really like having all black hardware and the minute that a console is released in another in another color you know it throws things off or if the console is available by default in that particular color there's no better example of that than with the wii which was originally a white console then they you know there was a black version uh etc etc for me personally i like my home theater to be completely uniform, everything in black. Um, That's always been my thing. I mean, when I had the white Xbox, it just threw it off so much. It drove me crazy. Uh, When they did the the black Xbox 360, of course, I ended up picking that up. I'm like I said, I'm a big fan of just either different color variations or I like uh, certain customized versions of certain consoles. Well, the PS4 Slim, as I said, is getting a glacier white edition. And I saw a lot of people 
on Facebook that I'm friends with. Really, really excited. But unfortunately, those of you that are here in the States will not be able to get in on that if you're looking for a white PS4. That is because that particular color variation is going to be available for the PAL region, uh, Japan and Asia, and will be hitting store shelves in that region on January 24th. Now, of course, you can obviously import it and have one uh, console for PAL titles and one for U.S. titles. But again, I'm sure that down the road we may get a white PS4, but right now it is strictly reserved for the PAL region. Now, this new color variation is going to come with a 500 gig hard drive and a Glacier White DualShock 4 controller. So definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm sure that people are definitely going to try and get their hands maybe on some white DualShock 4 controllers and pair those with their consoles here in the States. If you are one of those individuals that plans on doing that, definitely let me know. I'm curious to know how that works, only because I'm always hesitant about picking up uh, international accessories or, you know, Japanese only accessories to use here in the States. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've had mixed results with different things. And I'm curious to know if any of you guys listening are going to pick up a Glacier White uh, PS4 or the Glacier White DualShock. So definitely let us know. Now, on the Nintendo Switch side of things, there is something very interesting with that console. Obviously, there are a ton of different colors that people are expecting and hoping for but much like the playstation 4 a lot of those customization options will only be available in japan now of course there will be accessories that will be in colors but it's going to be based on you buying those accessories separately versus you having a choice of picking a particular color configuration or particular accessories now you know from what i've seen from the nintendo switch in the different events that that have taken place over the last couple of weeks i feel that you know the the de facto color is fine i know some people would love more color options and i'm sure that may happen down the road but right now you know i haven't even really got hands-on time with the console itself and that is my biggest concern now of course nintendo and some of the third-party publishers have been releasing at a frantic pace some of the upcoming titles you can expect on the nintendo switch including minecraft which is announced officially for the nintendo switch and we're going to get an hd remake of street fighter 2 now the odd the odd thing about this when i read it was i'm like what more can you do to this game well they're going to be releasing a special ultra street fighter 2 called the final challengers there's no release date for the title yet but odds are that it will be part of the franchise's 30th anniversary celebration which will run through this year now, the thing about it is that obviously all the sprites have been redone and the game will have its classic mode with the original 16-bit version of the game, which will have the 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Of course, in addition to that, you're going to get new multiplayer game modes, single-player modes. Uh, it's going to support, obviously, the Switch TV, tabletop, and handheld modes. Plus, you're going to get two new characters in Evil Ryu and Violent Ken. Now, Evil Ryu we've seen in a, a variety of different titles. Now, Violent Ken is a character that we only saw in the SVC Chaos uh, Capcom SNK game. So to see him now making his debut on this particular reboot of Street Fighter 2 is interesting. I, you know, I saw some screenshots and some video footage of the game and it looked impressive. It looked nice. But this is one of those instances where you're, you know, refreshing something that 
we've already played. I mean, the addition of Ryu and Violent Ken is nice. It adds a, a fighter to the Switch console, which is awesome. And as a Street Fighter fan, I'll definitely, you know, definitely take it for a spin. I'm not going to lie. That's for damn sure. But I, I was really impressed with the sprites and the work that was put into the detailing for this particular HD remake. Again, don't have a release date yet, but it definitely looked promising. That's for sure. Now, the interesting thing was that with the Nintendo Switch, obviously, and the brand new Zelda title on deck, you know, there is going to be a Wii version of The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And the funny thing is that while the Nintendo Switch is getting its version and it ushers in a brand new era for Nintendo as a company, it's also a, a sad, a bit of sad news also as The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for the Wii U will be the final game, the final first party game released on that console. Thus, with that, it just ends uh, a very, very mixed chapter for the company. A lot of people felt that it was a disappointing end to, you know, the Wii U console. But I, I disagree. I feel that the Wii U just was a little too forward thinking and a little too advanced in terms of how they wanted to market it to the audience. Again, you know, the the the, the tablet controller was cool, but you couldn't buy a second one. Um, you couldn't take the console, you know, the, the tablet into other locations, et cetera, et cetera. You could, you could go a certain distance, but you couldn't go too far. Things that the switch obviously now is capable of doing were things that the Wii U many people expected. Obviously the other issue being the release of games for the system. Now, the funny thing is that Reggie fils he did an interview with GameSpot recently and he actually talked about the fact that, you know, the Switch is a much, the concept of the Switch is an easier concept than that of the Wii U. And he said, and I quote, the Nintendo Switch is a home console you can play anywhere with anyone. Clear, compelling. We see the reaction by consumers, whether it's measured in Twitter's trending topics or views of videos on YouTube or just the frequency with which I get called by my old high school buddies that I haven't heard from in 30 years who are asking me how to get their hands on the Switch. We have communicated the proposition clearly, and it is compelling. In addition, he said, "In a you know, Nintendo is going to be releasing games at a faster pace. He added, the Wii U will go down as having fantastic content. The issue was, as you look at the reality of exactly when games were launched, that there were huge gaps in between. The Switch will have a steady cadence of content. Of course, right now, there are only six games scheduled to launch alongside the switch on march 3rd and two of those will be exclusive that being super bomberman r and one two switch now the thing with, with with that particular statement that he was talking about about the the large gaps in between one of the reasons why that happened was because nintendo didn't really do enough to strengthen relationships with third-party publishers plus the publishers just really had no desire to try and fork some sort of gameplay functionality into the Wii U controller. Nonetheless, Nintendo also suffered from not even releasing first-party releases in a timely fashion for the system, which is unfortunate because that was one of the things that really, really, really stuck the knife in the system. I'm being honest. I felt that that was one of the most compelling reasons why the Wii U failed, and it was the fact that it was such large gaps in between title releases, whether it was first party or third party, there was always a very, very big 
drought. Now, you know, on the 3DS, on the other hand, you had a wealth of different titles, first party and third party. So there was always something out there for everyone. And again, it's just disappointing because, like I said, the Wii U wasn't a terrible console. It just wasn't handled properly. On the mobile side of things, those of you that are Android users and are jealous of iOS getting Super Mario Run, you won't have to wait too long to play it on your Android device. Even though Super Mario Run launched on December 15th on iOS after being showcased at the Apple event, it is heading over to Android. And that should be happening in March, which is pretty cool. Obviously, you can probably head out and sign up for uh, a pre-registration, and then, of course, you'll be notified when the game goes live. But right now, all signs point to the game debuting on Android in March. So definitely, if you're a fan of the Super Mario Run game that you might have played on your friend's iPhone or iPad and you're an Android user, you won't have to wait much longer to be able to enjoy the game on your on your handheld on your Android handheld device. I mean, as I said during the preview for the show, I switched over from Android to iOS. I'll get into that later on, but one of the things I did do was sign up to have an opportunity to play Super Mario Run on Android just because I checked it out on my wife's device at the time and I enjoyed the concept. It was fun, quick, and easy to pick up. But again, Super Mario Run will arrive on Android in March. The other big news I wanted to talk about was NetherRealm's announcement that they will be releasing a beta for Injustice 2. NetherRealm Studios has released a sign-up application for the beta. I'll make sure to include links for that in the show notes if you're interested in signing up. And the beauty of it is you'll be able to play Injustice 2 on the beta prior to the May 16th release, and you will have the option of playing the beta on PS4 or Xbox One. And I mean, considering the beta that was run for Street Fighter V and all the information that the that Capcom got gathered from that to make the game enjoyable, I think it's definitely something that's welcomed by gamers, and it gives us a chance to get some hands-on time with the game before it hits store shelves on May 16th. So keep an eye out for that. And like I said, we'll put a link for the beta application if you want to check it out in the show notes for this episode. All right, let's talk MPD numbers. Last week, Slick and I talked about the, you know, the very strong showing by PlayStation 4 being the top selling console for the month of December. It's the second month that PS4 was the top selling console, breaking the four month streak that Xbox One had in the charts. The Nintendo 3DS definitely wasn't a slouch, either having strong sales fueled by Pokemon Sun and Moon, as well as the evergreen classics like Mario like Mario Kart 7 and some of the other titles. Of course, the console continues to grow month over month versus the same period last year. Now, the thing that we have to be aware of is that spending on consoles was actually down 24% from last year, and a lot of it, it can be attributed to the price decline in consoles and, you know, the fact that people are, there's not as much exclusivity between platforms. Yes, there's a handful of titles, but at the end of the day, it boils down to preference. So I can understand why there was a drop. I do feel 24% is a bit high, but, you know, it is what it is. I think that with the Nintendo Switch, we're definitely going to see an increase in hardware sales as the console drops on, you know, on March 3rd. And, of course, as the Xbox One Scorpio uh, nears arrival, which is going to be happening this year as well, 
I have a feeling that those numbers will definitely see a boost. Now, on the gaming side of things, the top selling games for December, a lot of a lot of titles. I'm not shocked. Uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, Final Fantasy uh, 15, Battlefield 1, Madden NFL 17, NBA 2K17, Watch Dogs 2, GTA 5 still holding on, Pokemon Sun, Pokemon Moon, and FIFA 17. So again, these are these are all games that I'm not shocked are on this list. The funny thing is that Final Fantasy 15 actually experienced the best console launch month in the history of the franchise since MPD began tracking back in the 90s. Now, we already see that the the best-selling games for December are a lot of the usual suspects, a lot of games that we'd expect, but let's talk about 2016 as a whole. Who took the the honor of being one of the best-selling games for 2016? Well, again, a lot of our usual suspects, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, Battlefield 1, Tom Clancy's The Division, which I was surprised. NBA 2K17, Madden 17, not shocked. GTA 5, still holding on Overwatch. Call of Duty Black Ops 3, FIFA 17, and Final Fantasy 15. So, again, not a shocker that the the best-selling games for December were also some of the best-selling games for 2016. I'm sure that Rockstar is very, very proud of the success that GTA 5 has had considering that it continues to be a top 10 selling title month after month after month after month. So with that said, now we head into January, now into February at this point. And, you know, things are kind of quiet, not to say that there aren't any good game releases on deck, but things, you know, I I feel it's the calm before the storm as Nintendo prepares the onslaught of the Switch. But there are some great titles on deck from other publishers and of course for the other consoles as well. But it's going to be an interesting first quarter for 2017 because like I said, Nintendo's coming out of the gate swinging with the Switch, the brand new Legend of Zelda game. Pre-orders for the Switch have been selling out. I tried to pre-order one just for the sake of obviously having it to test and and et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is it is definitely something that's being picked up and the resale on eBay already is pretty insane. So if you're looking for uh, a Switch console at launch, definitely check your local retailers. Give your email and contact information. A lot of a lot of retailers, including GameStop, uh, being one of them, are collecting information, emails, uh, telephone numbers to reach out to people once the next wave of Switch pre-orders opens. So do not fall into the the eBay third-party trap. Please don't. Uh, do yourselves a favor and try and. Use your local retailers, whether it's Target or Walmart or Amazon or anyone for that matter. And if you can't get it at launch, it'll it'll be available. I mean, I got lucky with the Nintendo Classic console I picked up for my sister. And that was, you know, days before Christmas. You guys can get lucky, too. Please don't fall victim to that stuff, for sure. In some other Capcom news, I know a lot of people were bummed, you know, after the announcement of the brand new Marvel vs. Capcom game coming out that Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 was released on the PlayStation 4, but rest easy, Xbox One and PC gamers, you will get an opportunity to get your hands on the game when it is released on March 7th. Of course, the PS4 version dropped in December, but March 7th, Xbox One and Windows PC owners will be able to get in on the action. The digital release for Xbox One and PC will run you $24.99, 
And in addition to that, they will be releasing a physical disc version of the game for PS4 and Xbox One. That limited edition physical release will cost you $29.99 and will include an exclusive comic featuring original art from Marvel artists Sean Chen and Gerardo Sandoval. Uh, Sean Chen has worked on Iron Man and Nova book on some of Iron Man and Nova's books. And uh, Gerardo Sandoval has worked on Venom and the New Avengers. The comic, according to Capcom, is going to tell the story of the two colliding universes and what brings everything together. It's going to be 10 full pages. And that physical release, please make note of this, will only be exclusive to GameStop and EB Games. Now, if you remember, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 was first released in 2011, but was pulled from digital stores in 2013. Of course, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is slated to drop later this year. So once again, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is coming to Xbox One and Windows PC via Steam on March 7th. Price, $24.99 for the digital version, $29.99 for the physical version, which will be available once again in GameStop and EB Games. Not a not a bad opening week, uh, so to speak, for, for gaming, especially in, in wake of the Switch announcement. Now, this bit of gaming news will essentially wrap up the segment for this week. But before we switch gears and jump into the entertainment side of things, I did want to uh, put this out there that we are definitely going to try and start doing more streaming. I know our very own Slick has been doing a lot of it on his YouTube channel, primarily Hitman. But now that, you know, we have some more, some more free time, so to speak, we're going to try and do more streaming, whether it's to Facebook Live directly or perhaps to our YouTube channel. We, um, tested some live episodes of My Take Radio on Facebook and they worked very well. So I think we're going to try and test some game streams directly to our Facebook fan page, which if you're not a fan, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks to stay up to date, not only with all the stuff we put out, but also with those streams as well. With that said, that's going to close out the gaming segment for this week. Let's jump into the entertainment news of the week, shall we? All right, let's get this entertainment segment started with some box office totals. Uh, Of course, we had the Martin Luther King holiday uh, earlier in the week. And of course, that led to a longer stay at the box office for some films. Uh, number 10 was passengers earning $5.6 million, bringing its total to 90 million. And the number nine slot, we had underworld blood wars earning $5.8 million, bringing its total to 23.9. I'd been meaning to get out to the theater to check it out. Um, I have a feeling it's not going to have a very lengthy stay, uh, given the fact that not too many people, uh, reviewed the film favorably, but you know, they're fun popcorn flicks. So I definitely want to check it out. In the number eight spot was Jamie Foxx's Sleepless, earning $8.5 million to start its run at the box office. Monster Trucks earned $10.5 million to num- for the number seven slot. Mark Wahlberg's Patriot Day came in at number six, $12 million, uh, $12.9 million total. The Bye Bye Man, uh, pretty decent start in the top five, earning $13.4 million to start. Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, holds on in the number four slot, earning an additional $13.8 million and bringing its grand total to $498.9 million. 
In the number three slot was Sing, earning $13.8 million, bringing its total to $233 million. Meanwhile, in the number two slot, La La Land earned $14.5 million and brought its total up to $74.1 million. Hidden Figures was the top movie for the weekend, earning $20.5 million, 54.8 total thus far. Of course, this weekend we have the brand new Triple X return of Xander Cage film with Vin Diesel hitting up the box office. Hopefully, I can get out and check it out this weekend. And if I do, maybe I will release a review as a minority film report, or maybe I will do a written review as well. In any case, keep it locked to RageWorks.net for that. Now, as I mentioned in the teaser for this week's episode, some WTF movie news, and this one is a doozy. If you were an 80s or 90s baby, um, a hip-hop fan, then the movie I'm about to talk about is probably either a, a film that is a longtime favorite of yours or just a movie that ends up being played, uh, you end up watching whenever it is on. And that, my friends, is White Men Can't Jump. If you remember, the original film starred Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson as two streetball players who obviously tried first to hustle each other before teaming up to hustle for a bigger payday. Now, the funny thing is that this film, like I said, was a classic. It's considered you know, a hip-hop classic, it's considered a comedy classic, and it is truly an awesome, awesome film. So you probably ask yourself, there's only one reason why Rich would bring this up and why is it, why it's considered what-the-fuck movie news for this week. And that is because, ladies and gentlemen, uh, ESPN has reported that Blake Griffin's production company, Mortal Media, is set to produce a remake of White Men Can't Jump. Kenya Barris, who is the creator of Blackish, will be writing the script and will also produce. Now, we don't know if Blake Griffin will be involved in the film, but he has obviously done some, you know, television work with commercials in Kia and commercials for Gamefly. So, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where and I've said this before, remakes are not only happening from the box office side, but they're even coming to the small screen in the form of TV shows. You know, we have the Lethal Weapon TV series, which has been surprisingly solid. Then, obviously, we're seeing the the Taken TV series, which is coming, uh, Training Day, which is also coming to NBC. I I just feel that a, a movie like White Men Can't Jump, you know, 1992, there was there were a lot of great films that came out during the 90s. You know, some people want to call them just strictly hip hop films. But I just feel that there were just amazing, amazing movies that to try and remake now and, and try and replicate those jokes and that chemistry, it's just very, very, very difficult. I mean, with 21 Jump Street, when they redid that, the film didn't take itself seriously. It knew what it was, and it didn't it didn't really do much to damage the credibility of the 21 Jump Street TV show. Now, with White Men Can't Jump, it's a little different because... Not only are you capturing some of the great work of Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in their prime, but there were just a a who's who of people in there. Rosie Perez, Kadeem Hardison, uh, the list goes on. And again, that film is just it's like it's like if somebody said to me that we're going to do a remake of Coming to America, I would feel the same fucking way. And it's it's frustrating because, like I said, you know, when when you were if you were growing up in the 80s and 90s, those were the movies that were staples. White Men Can't Jump, Boomerang, um, 
you know, menace to society, juice, uh, poetic justice, the list goes on. And yes, some people are going to say that they're, you know, urban films or hip hop films, but they were just films that withstood the test of time because they brought something unique and special to the table. And to try and replicate that chemistry now, it's not to say that it can't be done, but I just feel that in the climate that we're in to try and, and pull off those jokes and deliver them that way, it's, it's just, it's just very difficult in my eyes. And it frustrates me because again, there's no necessity to, to touch some of these films like Training Day. Even though it's getting a TV show and they're, they're doing it a little different, did, is it necessary? Did you need to do that? Training Day was, you know, a solid film. Does it need a weekly television series? The same thing with Shooter, which I've been watching on the USA Network with Ryan Phillippe. Same thing. You know, we saw Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. It was a solid film. Did it need a, a, a sequel? Does it need a sequel or a TV series? I don't think so. And even, even now, considering that the TV show was pretty solid, the the end result of how you know the the situation regarding that character was resolved in the tv series it just makes you ask what's next what are we going to do now with that character that's going to make people want to tune in on a weekly basis same thing with taken you know the liam neeson films we knew that you know this guy he had a very special set of skills you kidnap his daughter he finds you he beats you to death he kills you you kidnap his wife he does the same thing, wash, rinse, and repeat. Now, while the Taken TV series follows a young, uh, you know, a young Brian Mills, you know, the, the character portrayed by Liam Neeson, you know, what 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 are you going to do? I mean, not somebody's not going to be taken every week. I mean, they could do that. But again, it's it's just one of those things where it's a it's a very big gamble. I almost felt the same way about the Hannibal TV series and that show exceeded my expectations. And again, with TV, it's a little different because you're stretching the narrative out and you're trying to create new content using established characters from films. I mean, they've done it with Fargo. They've done it with some of these other series. And for the most part, it's been solid. But with movies, I always have issue because you're taking something that was not flawed or was considered a classic and you're going to try and make your own modern spin on it. And in the case of White men can't jump. You know, it's going to be an abundance of product placement. You're going to have, you know, maybe a couple of different basketball player cameos. And again, to recapture that magic of Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, I just have a very tough time comprehending um, how you're going to replicate that. Sure, you can get some some decent actors and put them together. But at what cost to sully the legacy of a film that genuinely did not need to be remade? is fucking ridiculous and yes it is in the what the fuck movie news category because ask yourselves a white man can't jump remake what the fuck hollywood that's that's all i gotta say um switching gears and going to the small screen side of things netflix continues to make itself an even bigger and bigger juggernaut in terms of media consumption as we already know netflix has brought back Animated series such as Voltron has created original series, which we've enjoyed. Their partnership with Marvel has yielded some amazing stories, utilizing some of Marvel's best street level heroes. Now you ask yourself, what more can Netflix do? Well, let, let me tell you, Netflix has been strengthening their comedy offerings. They've been doing they've been offering a lot of comedian stand up specials. And, um, you know, they signed Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle and Amy Schumer for comedy specials, but someone, someone that came out of nowhere was recently signed not only for two stand-up comedy specials, but also for exclusive rights 
to a series that they created. And that, my friends, is Jerry Seinfeld. I'm not a huge Seinfeld fan. I'm sure a lot of people are probably gasping when they hear that. I wasn't a fan. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent a fan of the Seinfeld show. I never really felt it was my cup of tea personally. Jerry Seinfeld stand up is interesting. It's hit or miss. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. You know, I got to be really in the mood for observational humor. And, um, you know, that's that's something that you're either with it or you're not. Now, the the special that Jerry Seinfeld has been doing comedians in cars getting coffee is um, a pretty a pretty easy show. The premise is self-explanatory. Seinfeld rides around with other comedians or different personalities getting coffee and talking comedy. I mean, they originally launched it for uh, Crackle, which is Sony streaming service. And then new episodes and older episodes are actually going to be coming to Netflix later on this year. Some of the guests that he's done this particular series with include Howard Stern, Steve Martin, Tina Fey, and um, of course, President Obama, which was a big deal. And, you know, I think that this is going to strengthen Netflix's offerings I thought that the series was smart. It was interesting because it was uh, very laid back. And best of all, if you're someone who's a big fan of comedy, you'll appreciate some of the the nuances and some of the things and, and just the insider information you can learn just from a simple conversation between two comedians with the cameras rolling. And again, not over the top, not not super scripted, just real casual. And I think that a show like that is definitely a show you can binge watch and bringing it to Netflix is a win-win both for the service and for Jerry Seinfeld. Now, the other thing that has made Netflix interesting as of late is the fact that they've been bringing back some classic shows like Full House, which we know. And, um, you know, Full House has been well-received. And the networks are trying to do the same thing, so much so that NBC has ordered a 10-episode Will and Grace revival, which will be airing during the 2017-2018 season. Everybody from the show, Eric McCormick, Deborah Messing, Sean Hayes, and Megan Mullally will, uh, I probably pronounced that poor lady's name terribly, will be reprising all their signature roles. Uh, the series creators are on board as showrunners and executive producers. And right now, you know, it's, it's you know, the 10 episodes are something that they're testing, and we're going to see if it comes back and if it's a home run. And, you know, I'm not shocked about something like this because, What's happening is, like I said, you know, you're grabbing some of these classic shows. You're getting these cast members together. Some of them are successful. Some of them are just hanging out, collecting residuals, and you're bringing them together. And yes, sometimes there's the nostalgia that's there, but sometimes it's just a shot in the arm for that particular celebrity's career. I mean, with the who's with the um, who's the boss with the um, uh, not growing pains with the full house revival. We've seen that, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the, the young the young ladies that were stars of the series have been making the talk show circuit, have been back in front of the mainstream public. So I'm not shocked. I'm curious to see how uh, fans will react to the show and if they'll be able to capture the same success that Will and Grace had back in the day when it aired on television. We'll see what the deal is. I mean, the series ran for eight years and, you know, it definitely had a lot of successes under its belt. We'll see if the 10 episode revival will recapture that magic. Switching gears to the comic book side of things, uh, Spider-Man we've talked about, obviously, with Spider-Man Homecoming, but also the rumored animated Spider-Man film, which is going to happen with Christopher Miller and Philip Lord, uh, Phil Lord, uh, helming the project. And we've been curious as to which version of Spider-Man we were going to see, 
what they were going to do, et cetera, et cetera. Well, come to find out that today uh, it was announced that Miles Morales' spot version of Spider-Man will be the one that is uh, the star of this particular film. I'm, I'm curious to see how they do it. And, um, you know, Lord and Miller actually showed off a sizzle reel showing some concept art and CG footage for the film. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. I mean, Miles Morales' character has been tremendous in the books, uh, very well received, even in the current Marvel continuity that he's a part of. And people have been clamoring to see Miles Morales on screen, whether it was in a big screen live action film or in any other medium for that matter. So to see him now getting a standalone film, even if it's an animated project, is definitely interesting. And we will be watching this and and the developments with much interest. The un, the animated Spider-Man film is scheduled to hit theaters in winter of 2018. Now, on the DC side of things, we all know that Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, has been involved with the upcoming Shazam film as he will be playing Black Adam. Now, many people were excited and intrigued because everybody says that The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson looks like Black Adam and it just it just works. I mean, even if you've played the Injustice games and you look at Black Adam, you see the resemblance between him and The Rock. So Dwayne Johnson met with DC uh, recently and um, they spoke. He, he met with Jeff Johns. And while discussing the Shazam movie, uh, what came out of that meeting was essentially a reconfiguration of what the studio has planned, meaning that instead of us getting a Shazam film with Black Adam, we will now be getting a Shazam standalone film and a Black Adam standalone film that will be shot and developed at the same time. Now, the current plan right now is to not feature Black Adam as a primary villain in Shazam, though he may appear at a later date. But they're definitely going to start teasing Black Adam in the DC universe with rumors going as far as saying that they will start teasing his character in Aquaman. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Black Adam, Black Adam was, uh, you know, obviously a villain of Shazam, Cap a.k.a. Captain Marvel. And basically, you know, originally written as strictly Shazam's villain, he later on was kind of turned into an anti into an antihero and um he was supposed to be the successor to Shazam. He got corrupted and, um, you know, he became the foil for Shazam. Black Adam, as of late, especially during the last few years, they've done a really good job with him in the books. And I think that The Rock definitely has the chops to pull off this character. And I think that it's a ballsy move to not only give the character his own solo film, but also shoot the film in tandem with Shazam. So definitely kudos to Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, for uh, making it happen in the DC universe. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of The Rock as a wrestling fan. It's cool to see him invested in the character and trying to do big things. I would give anything to see The Rock mix it up in the Marvel universe. I feel that The Rock really has the chops to do something awesome on the Marvel side of the uh, on the Marvel side. But let's see if you know the the presence that he has, the big commanding physical presence, is enough to carry a solo Black Adam film. As we get more information on the development of Shazam and Black Adam, of course, we will share that with you guys. Now, the next bit of news is interesting if you're a Walking Dead fan. As many of you know, when The Walking Dead came back, we were treated to the iconic scene of Negan bashing in uh, someone's skull on, on the beginning of the series. And, um, of course, we know that Abraham and Glenn met an unfortunate end at the hands of Lucille. 
And the thing about it was that it was a very visceral and very violent scene that really just, you know, it, 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 it not only just was incredibly graphic and grotesque to watch, which I thought was fucking ballsy, but I also thought that, you know, this is going to either draw more people to the show or turn more people away or just create a conversation about the amount of violence that AMC shows during The Walking Dead. So Variety released a piece recently that um, executive producer Gail Ann Hurd and AMC Network's president and CEO Josh Sappen uh, actually revealed that the show The Walking Dead has toned down its violence after the season seven premiere. And a lot of it obviously was due to the backlash of just how nasty Negan's murders were. So changes were made to episodes still in production. Uh, Galen Hurd said, we were able to look at the feedback at the level on the level of violence. We did tone it down for episodes. We were still filming for later on in the season. This is not a show that is torture porn. We don't cross that line. Uh, Josh Sappen added, uh, when something matters a lot and it has a universal universal universality that's a that's a weird word then you're bothered by it you care about it um when when gail ann heard was asked about never thinking the walking dead would work she said all of us said you're kidding people are going to watch a show where people talk about what they've just seen that's absurd but the success is absolutely brilliant and not something we as creatives on the drama side could have ever anticipated here here's the thing and, and this this is uh, something that, as I read it, I kind of understand. But on the same token, you create these shows and you put them on cable channels because you don't want to uh, show that level of brutality, violence, and and you know strong strong language on broadcast television. Totally understood, ladies and gentlemen. It is a show about zombies, and they eat people. And on top of the zombies eating the people, the people that are trying to survive in this post-apocalyptic landscape where, where, where the undead walk the earth are going to make some harsh and terrible fucking decisions. I hate to say it, but shit like this is go- would be commonplace even in the real world. It is what it is. And people that are bothered by it really honestly need to sack up. I'm being serious. You got to grow a pair because... There's worse things on TV. And again, we've come a long way. The big thing back in the day was NYPD Blue showing an ass on TV during the primetime hour. Now we're talking about people being bludgeoned to death by baseball bats, tons of strong sexual situations on regular broadcast television that, you know, nobody nobody bats an eyelash. But a guy bashes someone's head in in an established story that is already in existence and people are annoyed about the physicality and the brutality. If you're a fan of the books, you knew it was coming. And you expected the scene to be done justice. And I feel that AMC and The Walking Dead did just that. Am I, am I bo- Was I a little bothered because it looked very realistic and super fucking gross? Yeah, of course. But that just that's just a credit to the effects people for doing an amazing job at making that shit look so believable and so lifelike. There really is a brutal scene. Again, if it's something where you feel queasy, you feel squeamish, don't watch it or fast forward through the scene. That is the magic of DVR. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it is zombies eating people, and it is us seeing humanity at their best, but also at their worst. This is shit that we're going to see 
for the foreseeable future. And if you're already a Walking Dead fan, you know that there's much worse on the horizon. So, I mean, I applaud AMC for trying to do the right thing and trying to just, you know, appease everyone. But people need to understand this is a violent show that takes place in a very violent period. And we're going to see some brutal shit and we're going to see some foul things. And people got to accept that. And if you can't, then do us all a favor and don't watch it. Because to go on Twitter and Facebook, oh, that was so violent. And oh, my God. And, you know, I, I you know, my teenage son was was horrified. Like, give me a break. Give me a break. The whole reason why shows like this are on HBO or or on pre on on paid cable TV is because it allows the networks to flex their muscles a little bit more. It's no different than on Game of Thrones. It's no different than on Californication or any of these other shows that you're watching. Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, etc., etc., etc. Once you leave the the quiet comforts of you know Channel Two, Channel Four. 5, 9, and 11, and go into the other channels, you know, the paid channels, then you're going to see a different level, not only of television, but of risk-taking that you can't do on broadcast TV. Again, I understand you want to kind of appease that, you want to appease everyone, but seriously, folks, it is a show about the fucking zombie apocalypse. Please, please, please grow a set or change the channel. It's that simple. All right. I think that's a nice way to close out the entertainment segment for this week's uh, gaming and entertainment edition of MTR. So with that, I've given you guys my take on gaming and entertainment this week. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media. Look for My Take Radio on Twitter. And you can also find Rageworks on Facebook, um, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. Links for all of our social media accounts will be in the show notes for this episode. And as always, if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of my take radio, whether it's the MMA and wrestling edition or the gaming and entertainment edition, drop me a line rich at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. And if you'd prefer not to use email, you can also use our contact form on the site. Last but not least, as always, if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to reach out and email us if there's any problems with any audio, etc. If there's things you'd like to see now that we're back to a podcast only format, I welcome all feedback. As always, we do this stuff for you guys and we want to give you guys the best presentation possible. All right, guys, thank you guys for tuning in and hitting that play or download button for the gaming and entertainment edition of my take radio links to everything we talked about will be in the show notes for this episode, which will be available on iTunes stitcher and tune in radio and audio format and we will even put a video version on our youtube channel albeit with a stationary image and the audio for this episode all right guys thanks for checking us out see you guys next week peace My Take Radio is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network. To find out more about My Take Radio and the rest of our shows on the RageWorks Podcast Network, visit us at RageWorks.net.